and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, again, not knowing where he was going. Do you see how faith, he didn't have all the answers. When God called Abraham, God said, leave, leave the civilized city and leave your family and all you've ever known and take off and go to the land I'm going to show you. What land? I'm not going to tell you yet. Just take off and go the direction I'm going to show you. And then I'm going to give you a land. But not going to be for a while. And so Abraham, later it talks about him living in tents. So he went from living in a what would probably be a house in a civilized city to living in tents, almost having to forage and, and raise his own food. Anybody going to sign up to... For the, for the Abraham package of life, leave your comfortable, warm home to, to go camp out on the plains? That'd be a lot of faith, wouldn't it? It was a courageous faith. What, I mean, what if God didn't come through? What would happen to his family? He had a wife. He had a nephew that went with him. He had servants that went. They all depended on him. What would happen if God didn't come through? They would have all starved to death. They would have all died. Abraham courageously obeyed. Verse 17 and 18 and 19 talks about God sending Abraham to sacrifice, offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Again, God says, I promised you a son, now you've got a son. Now take this son and go offer him as a sacrifice on a mountain that I will show you. Now, Abraham wakes up and the Bible says he, he immediately gathered things and he went. It's pretty courageous. Why did he... Why did he go do something like that? Because he believed God. All throughout Scripture, we find this example. Those who believe, they obey. And the reality is those who didn't believe, they didn't obey. You know, the Bible tells us a story of a, of a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments, honor your father and your mother, do this, do that. And the kids said, I've done all of that. And Mark's gospel says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said, it's one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. And I will give you treasures in heaven. And the Bible says that the young man went away very sad because he had great possessions. See, he didn't believe Jesus. So he disobeyed Jesus. He missed Everything Jesus wanted to give him. Jesus wanted to do in him and through him and for him. With us, as with these folks, our courageous obedience, it always flows out of faith. And a question that we ought to ask ourselves, if I don't obey, what do I doubt? Do I doubt God's power to do what I think He's wanting me to do? Do I doubt God's ability to enable me? Do I doubt that this is really God's Word? What do I doubt? Because disobedience in any form is always, always motivated by doubt. And doubt destroys. Our faith, doubt destroys our courageous obedience. Our obedience is always an act of courage and it always flows out of an absolute faith that God is who He says He is 
that God can do what He said He can do. And then the third truth about it. First, obedience always requires courage. Courageous obedience always flows from faith. And the final truth is that courageous obedience is often difficult, but it's always worth it. I wonder, how long, how long were Joseph and Mary the the talk of the town? How long did people gossip about them? How long did they point fingers at them? I wonder if, I wonder if the people in the community ever kind of talked about Jesus, little Jesus running around. That's the son that was born when they were. I mean, I, I wonder. Because the way I read the, the gospel accounts, they were still engaged and not married when Jesus was born. How long did they have to endure that loss of reputation? How long was it before people believed that Jesus was who they had always said he was. I don't know. And so I'm sure, I'm sure it was difficult. I'm sure there were years and spans of time where it was very difficult. But in the end, their submission to God and doing his will, it was worth it. I mean, they, they got to be a part of, of what God was doing in the world to redeem Lost humanity. How awesome is that? And when it comes to our being obedient, courageous obedience, it's going to be difficult. It always will be. Because there will always be people who don't understand. There will always be people who don't like it. There will always be people who question and criticize. But it's always worth it. Because we we are doing God's will. And the Bible, it tells us. Jesus, that God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Nothing we do for the Lord is ever a waste of time. Jesus has risen. Jesus is victorious. And any time we serve the victoriously risen Christ, we have done something eternally significant. And the risk we run in not doing it, it is that we miss out on what God wants to do in us and through us and for us. What did I miss out? What, what did I miss out on? On that day, I didn't go pray for those firemen. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, I believe it was something. There was something that God was wanting to do in me and through me and for me in leading me to do that, and I missed it. Now, let me show you something that I think is significant, because what would have happened had Mary and Joseph not done it? What if they'd both just said no? Because they were both important to the plan, and they were both necessary for the plan. Here's what I think. I don't think God is so limited that if they had said no, everything would have come unraveled. I believe God would have still raised up the Messiah from a virgin and been a descendant of King David. He would have just used someone else. And they would have missed out. And Mary and Joseph would have missed out on it. 
There's a great story in the book of Esther. Go ahead and turn to Esther. That I think gives us a good picture of this. The story of Esther follows a young woman, well, named Esther. And Esther was brought to the city of Shushan during one of the, the great captivities in Judea, in, in Jerusalem. By the time we get to the book of Esther, her, her parents have been killed. She's taken from her homeland. Her parents have died in one way or another. She's been raised by her cousin Mordecai. The nation of Israel is kind of in a state of flux at this point. Some are maybe going back. Others are not. But they're still largely in captivity. And the book of Esther, chapter 1, doesn't even mention Esther. She's not part of the story yet. Chapter 1 tells us about the king, Ahasuerus, who, who has a great big party. And as he has this great big party, he sends for his wife to come and stand before his party guests and display her beauty. And for one reason or another, she determines she's not going to do that and she refuses to come. And it's kind of a, almost a humorous story at this point because the king's advisors then begin to say, well, that's bad. That's real bad. Because if you let this slide, all the other wives in the kingdom are going to hear that, that she didn't obey you and they ain't going to obey us. It's just going to be rebellion in the kingdom. So here's what you need to do. You need to exile her. And just make a, make, a, make a show. Exile her and make an example of her. And, and King Ahasuerus, he says, okay. And so he does. Then chapter 2 picks up sometime later. And in chapter 2, it says that he remembered Vashti, his queen, what he had done. And he was kind of says, he kind of gives the idea he was lonely. <laughs> hey, I don't have a queen now. This is no, no good. And so his servants come to him and they say, hey, here's what you need to do. Have all the good looking women in the city brought to you and you just pick the one that you like. And, and the king says, that's a good idea. And so he sends out people to go out through the city and round up all of the women that they think are pretty. And Esther is taken at this time. Now. You know, lots of girls dream about being queen, about being queens and princesses and marrying the king. But this isn't like an American Idol audition where they're going to come and they're going to volunteer and they're doing this. These people are taken captive. And from what we know later in the book, once they're taken, they never get to go back. Their lives are completely upended. Right? They're taken by the king. They are prepared for a significant period of time. And they present themselves to the king. He is going to pick one that he likes and all the rest of them are going to go live by themselves for the rest of their lives. So this is the life of all of these girls. Esther's taken. Esther is chosen. She's the one that the king likes. Chapter 3, we're introduced to a bad guy named Haman. Haman is promoted to what appears to be the chief advisor to the king. He is given a place that is so exalted that everybody in the kingdom is expected to bow down when Haman comes by, and everybody does, except one guy, Esther's cousin Mordecai, who refuses. We don't know why he refuses, he just does. And it makes Haman angry. But Haman, look at verse 6 of chapter 3. 
Well, verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him that he was uh, of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. And he has some serious anger management issues, right? So he's not just going to kill Mordecai. And he's not just going to kill Mordecai's family, but his whole people, everybody, all the Jews. So he goes to the king. And he tells the king a story about a rebellious people who are living right there in his own kingdom. A people who've never surrendered to another king before, who've always risen up in rebellion. And he says, here's what you need to do, O king. Write a decree and send it out that on a certain day, everybody can rise up and kill all the Jews they want to kill and take all of their stuff. King Ahasuerus says, that sounds like a good idea. And he gives him a signet ring and he says, go make it so. So he does. Chapter 4, Mordecai finds out and he's sad. Personally, I think he's sad because he knows it's all his fault, but the Bible doesn't say that, so I'll just leave that as a guess. And he goes in front of the king's gate, clothed in sackcloth, which people weren't supposed to do. Esther sees him. She sends clean clothes and nice clothes to him. And he sends back and he says, no, I'm not going to, for here's the king's decree. And, and Esther keeps trying to, to talk him out of acting like this. And she wants him, or he, Mordecai wants Esther to go before the king and to request leniency, to find a way out of what's about to happen. And Esther says, I can't. The law of the land is you can't go before the king unless he summons you. And if you just walk in unannounced and uninvited, if he doesn't point the scepter at you, they will kill you. And he hasn't called for me in a month. I can't. Now look at chapter 4, verse 13, because here are the key verses to it. And Mordecai told them to Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape the king in the king's palace any more than the other Jews. Right? Don't imagine they're not going to find out you're a Jew and you're going to escape and the rest of us will die. You'll die too. For if you remain completely silent at this time, I love this, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. You see, God wasn't so limited that everything was hinging on Esther. God's still God. He would still deliver them somehow. But if Esther didn't courageously obey at this point, she would miss out on seeing God do this in her and through her and for her. And I like the last part. For who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I mean, God had done things in Esther's life in such a way that she was where God wanted her to be to do what God wanted her to do. And that's no less true of you and I. We aren't where we are by accident or coincidence. We are where we are because God wants us where we are. And He has plans and things for us to do. Now, now God isn't dependent upon us. He can still do whatever He wants to do. But we miss out on being the vessels that He uses. We miss out on getting to be people that God works through to accomplish His will in the world. We, we miss it. We miss 
the great and the awesome God of the Bible, choosing us individually, doing something in us and through us to help accomplish His will in the world. Now, why would we ever want to miss out on that? Now, I have. I've already told you I have. So I'm not saying be more like me. I'm just saying this isn't go and do more. This is imagine what could be if we are courageously obedient to God. God has has not placed any of us where we are just by the flip of a coin. We are where we are by divine design so that God can accomplish His will in us and through us and for us throughout our area. And when we we pull back, we miss. We miss all of it. God's still going to do what He was going to do. But we miss getting to be a part of the process. Being courageously obedient to God, it will be difficult very, very often. Going and talking to people like that for me, way out of my comfort zone. But if I had done it, it would have been worth it. Times that I have gone to talk to people about Jesus, just walking up and starting a conversation with someone I don't know about Jesus is outside of my comfort zone. But the times that I have done it, it was always worth it. Whatever we do, It'll always be difficult, but it will also always be worth it in the end. Because we get to be a part of what God is doing in the world. So determine, you are going to take courage and immediately obey God, no matter what it is that He wants you to do. Let's stand as our